borders, borders everywhere were closing, which meant that uh, Marjo being a Canadian citizen and me being an American citizen, I had to go back to the US and she had to go back to Canada. We couldn't go back to a country together anywhere. Hello and welcome to Vermont Untapped, a podcast from the Vermont Folklife Center that explores the state through the voices of its own residents. I'm Mary Wesley. I can hardly believe it's time for our third annual Meet Cute episode. Our Valentine's tradition here at Vermont Untapped is to share little love stories about how people first met their significant other, the kind of story known in the movie biz as the Meet Cute. But this time, like most things this year, it's a little different. We're coming up on one year of living through the COVID-19 pandemic. And as part of our Listening in Place project, we've been focused on hearing from Vermonters about their experiences of this tumultuous time in their own voices. We know that Vermonters have continued to cultivate new romantic connections during this time. But to be honest, we paused a bit around asking people to tell us their touching stories of new flowering love in the midst of the pandemic. Would anyone really want to put a spotlight on a newly forged connection by sitting down for an interview with us? So instead, our 2021 Meet Cute focuses on two themes that have consistently emerged through listening in place. Resilience and human connections. Less of a Meet Cute, this year's February episode of Vermont Untapped explores COVID as a catalyst for strengthening an existing relationship. A story about love across distance and across borders. Everest Whitman and Marjolaine Foray, known to her friends as Marjo, first met late one night in 2014 at a gas station in Burlington, Vermont. They were both in search of food after attending a contra dance. He was in the band, she was on the dance floor. Their first conversation focused on the relative virtues of various cheese-flavored snacks. Everest and Marja's connection quickly moved beyond cheesy chips. And fueled by their mutual love of traditional dance and music, they began a long-distance relationship. Everest lived in Brattleboro, Vermont, Marjo in Montreal. So crossing the Vermont-Quebec border became a regular affair. And that, dear listeners, is pretty much all the meet-cute you're going to get this year. Five years later, after finishing his degree at the University of Vermont, Everest moved to Montreal so they could live together. A year after that, at the beginning of 2020, they hopped on a plane to cross another border together, into Australia. Taking advantage of the working holiday visa available to both U.S. and Canadian citizens, they planned a year-long stay to experience life down under. As you can imagine, these plans were interrupted by the pandemic. In mid-March, as COVID cases started cropping up across the globe, Everest and Marjo began receiving daily barrages of text messages from their mothers, urging them to return home. The question was, could they go home together? Originally, we had wanted to come back to North America at the same time, uh, but the borders, borders everywhere were closing which meant that uh, Marjo being a Canadian citizen and me being an American citizen, I had to go back to the U.S. and she had to go back to Canada. We couldn't go back to a country together anywhere. So they bought separate plane tickets. They had sublet their place in Montreal for their year abroad, so each returned to their family homes. Everest was headed for Brattleboro, Marjo for Shefford, Quebec. It was kind of a no-brainer because we had to do it. Um... But then it was also very hard not knowing how long that would be. Like, at first we thought that we were like, okay, well, we'll do this. And then in about a month, we'll be able to see each other because 
then COVID is going to get better and we'll just be able to see each other. Um, but I guess that um, that's also when Everest proposed, I guess. Proposed? When I interviewed them about this story, Everest and Marja were so caught up in reliving the confusion and stress of navigating their unplanned departure from Australia that they almost forgot to mention this one bright moment from their last few days there together. Yeah, so we didn't know how long it would be before we'd see each other again, uh, which was uh, very difficult. But also, I had already been planning to propose to Marjo at some point during our travels in Australia. Uh, so I was at that point of knowing that I was going to propose at some point. I was looking for the right moment. And so I decided to propose before we would be separated, uh, just because I thought that that would, um, that would somehow make the separation easier for us. Honestly, it wasn't, it wasn't anything that fancy. It just like kind of slipped out while we were talking one night. I mean, I was like, are you joking? Are you serious? And then he said, yeah, I'm serious. And then I was just like, yes. I mean, we had been talking about getting married for a while. Like we, the conversation had been there where we knew it would happen at some point. So it was not like it was a big surprise that, oh, wait, do I really want to get married or something? That subject had been um, cleared out like a while ago. Yeah, there was no ring. There's, there's no, still there's no, no ring, ring yet. <laughs> nothing, nothing fancy like that, except it meant a lot to us to, to actually be engaged. I don't remember, I actually don't remember the moment that we said goodbye. I remember it being like very painful to fall asleep the night before and know that we would be separating and then I would be all by myself the day after uh, for another like 24 hours and then fly back by myself after that. If I somehow, if I managed to get on my flight and all went well. So after we came back to North America, I was in Brattleboro and Marjo was in Shefford, Quebec at her mom's. I was at my mom's. Um, and so we spent probably, I think, three months separated in those respective places. Uh, we got back home. We uh, isolated from our family members and uh, dealt with the jet lag and spent a lot of time doing the thing that everyone else did when COVID started, like tons of tons of video chatting with friends. So many. So we were we were both going to bed at like 4 a.m. in the morning, uh, video chatting each other and our friends before that every single night. So we did that each for two weeks. I guess that the beginning of our isolation was also talking a lot about um, getting ready for our wedding, even though we were only planning to get, well, to get married a year and a half after we got back. Yeah, so our, our idea was that we were engaged and then we would get married as soon as uh, COVID was no, was no longer a problem and we, and we were reunited. So one of the big like saving graces of that period was the excitement of kind of planning for our future wedding. Uh, so we like set the date really far out. We still haven't hit the date that we've, we had set um, and started like, like compiling a guest list, doing graphic design for invitations and things. Uh, thinking about logistics, like doing all that wedding planning stuff just because we had all this free time uh, and it was very exciting. And we also spent a lot of time calling our friends and telling them that that we were engaged. Hmm. So that we did a lot of that. So we waited for a very long time and watched the news closely about the border situation. The idea was that I was going to go back up to Canada as soon as I possibly could. The border closure had been set for like a month out and they kept on renewing it. And so that was the situation. And it was all a matter of speculation. When are they going to open the border finally? 
Uh, so we each spent three months apart. It was long, already much longer than we would have liked to spend apart. Uh, and it, I mean, I personally was battered by a sense of hopelessness because it wasn't sure how long it was going to be still. Like it could be another six months possibly. And that was very difficult. So on June 8th, <laughs> the government, well, the two governments sort of um, took an arrangement together. That, um, well, the Canadian government just decided to make an exception for spouses of Canadian citizens and perhaps permanent residents. I, I don't know. Uh, so spouses in the sense of people who are married or people who are uh, de facto, I think common law partners is the, is the correct term in English for that. Uh, in French, you would just say conjoint fait. Uh, Correct. Yes. That they were able to cross the border to go visit their people. And so we thought that it would work for Everest to cross the border. We still had been dating for back then. It was like five, year and a, five years and a half. So we were like, okay, we're going to try this. So that was in May. So it had been exactly a year that since we had moved in together, except that we had been separated for the past three months at that point. But it looked on paper like we could we could present the case that we were a common law couple and then it would work for me to cross the border. And we actually called the border and talked about our situation to the border guard there and they said that it wouldn't be a problem for me to come in. I just had to provide certain documentation, which I uh, gathered up very dutifully. I had a huge pile of evidence like to document our relationship and document our, our cohabitation and spousal relationship and all that sort of stuff. With his tome of documents in hand, Everest and his mom decided to make the almost three-hour drive from Brattleboro up to the Quebec border. And when we were 20 minutes from the border uh, in Vermont, her car started overheating. And so we had to pull off the side of the road, wait for it to cool down, drive again to get to the next exit, pull off the side of the road for another like 30 minutes each time. Um, Then eventually we decided that it it was just not possible for us to make it to the border, even though we were like, I don't know, four exits away. So we left the car on the side of the road. We had it towed to to a garage, and we had one of my mom's friends uh, who was in the area pick us up and drive us to the border. Do you remember what the name of the border crossing is? Is it St. Albans? So this is at the, the Derby Line Stansted Crossing, uh, which is a one-lane border. We wanted to go to a small one because we thought it would, it would be better. And so I had to walk down, like, a long bridge uh, and down a hill and then walk up to the, the window in the car lane with all my stuff and stop to talk to the border agents there. Um, so I was parked in the place where they normally search your car when you're about to just cross the border. And so that's where I was parked. And then, um, so I could see from my mirror behind me, Everest, just next to the cabin um, where there were like a bunch of guards behind him. So obviously like people were just finishing work. I think it was around like, 5 p.m. or something like that. People were trying to just get back home as soon as possible. And then there's Everest who's stopping everyone um, from being asked so many questions. And so I just waited in the car um, and I was just looking in the mirror and I could see Everest just there. Like I could see that they were going back and forth to going inside and coming outside to him and asking him a bunch of questions until um, I was like, okay, well, he's just coming. And so I looked and then it was not Everest at my door. It was the border officer and so I just put my mask on and and then I rolled my window and I was like hi and then she's like yeah so your fiance was denied entry 
and um but you're allowed to get like a five minutes to talk to him if you want i'm just gonna be there i'll look at the woods or something like i'm not gonna listen to whatever you, you're telling each other but um that's all i can do and so i just walked out of the car and then i saw everest and um i guess we were both crying mm-hmm Yeah. So basically at that point, both of us were crying so much that we couldn't really have a conversation. So we didn't really take advantage of our five minutes. So then I I told the, the border agent that, that we were done talking and then I took my passport back. And then I walked back to um, to my mom who had been waiting for me. And then I had to walk through the US border again because technically I'd left the country. So I like had a form in my hand that said I'd been denied entry into Canada. And so I entered the US uh on foot again and then uh i i was just like you know crushed with the the like most intense feeling of def like defeat and hopelessness that i think i've experienced ever in in memory um and so our car was totally wrecked uh and we had to go stay with uh with my mom's friend in northern vermont that night and find a way to get back back home then i went back home <laughs> Um, I just couldn't eat anything. I was just hiding in my room. And then people started messaging us. I mean, we didn't tell a lot of people that he was denied entry because it was just hard to face the whole thing. But then a few people started sending us um, articles, like journal articles saying that American citizens cannot come to Canada either by car or by flight. But Canadian citizens are allowed to fly to the U.S. Leading up to this, we we had also thought about the possibility of like, okay, maybe there's a way for us to get married without both being in the same country. So we had thought about going to the the library at the Derby Line in Stansted. There's a library there, which uh, is both in Canada and the U.S. And we our thought was, if we go to the library, we could get married there without both physically being in the same country, or do something like getting married in international waters or something like that. So we had these crazy plans, and then we realized that Canadian citizens could still fly to the U.S. because for some reason the U.S. did never close their air border to two Canadians. And so we found out that Marja could fly to the U.S. So I called the deputy, the federal deputy from my county to validate this information because I wanted to make sure that, well, I wanted to explain our situation and see if there was something that the government could do for our stories. And so I said, well, I read this in the news, is that through... Um, do you think that I could just fly to the U.S., get married, and then just come back by foot? And then us, me, us being married would mean that we would be part of the exception of people that can actually cross the border. She wasn't sure if that was going to work, but she was like, well, if you end up doing it, just let me know. And then I can share this information with other couples that are in the same situation as you. Uh, so we bought Marjo a plane ticket. As soon as we figured out our plan, had her fly down, just trying to like get through all the like hoops of getting married as fast as possible so we could cross the border just before they changed anything. So you flew down and then we made some appointments, went to the town clerk's office, got the documentation. The day before we got married, I was like, Everest, we, we should go to the store and I'm going to try to find a, a, a pretty dress. And so I found one at a pretty cool store in Brattleboro. I was very happy. I still, I actually love this dress. Um, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so I had to stress and then Everest dressed up a little bit. Yeah, and so we got dressed up. We took some some photos with just like a cell phone on a tripod with a little like remote uh, as like wedding photos in, in my driveway uh, on my mom's property. Then that day we drove up to Lisa's house and she married us just uh, on her land, just the three of us. And then we were we went we took our like signed marriage certificate to the the clerk's office, and they gave us a uh, a marriage certificate the day after. And the day after that, we drove back up to the border again. And then when we got to the border, <laughs> we got the same officer that denied entry the week before to Everest. Yeah. So there were two. So I had seen two border officers, two two border agents, uh, a woman and a man, uh, who had denied me entry, and the man was there, and he recognized us, and he said. <laughs> You again? <laughs> he was just incredulous that Marjo had somehow gotten into the U.S. He was like, how did you get there? And I said, well, I flew. He's like, oh, they got you in? Yeah. Yeah, so that was, so that was kind of funny. And then, um, so he, he took our information and he was like, oh, yeah, well, so show me your documents. Like, how, why are you trying to cross the border? And I was like, well, I flew to the U.S., we got married, and now here's our certificate. And then he said, can I see the certificate? And he had it in his hand. He was just blown away. He was definitely dumbfounded and not like able to process the information on the document in front of him. It was really, really funny. And I once again had all my all my possessions. <laughs> and Marjo had all the stuff that she had flown with. And we were like in the car lane with cars behind us, blocking the only only lane at that border. So we went inside. Yeah. So they were asking us the same questions. Where are you going to stay? Where is your quarantine? And so we had a letter from my mom saying that we were going to quarantine there and that she was able to give us supplies um, while we were being there so that we wouldn't have to go to the store or anything and that um, we wouldn't have any visitors and everything. So it's really a thing that you're saying under serma. Under oath. Oath? Oath. 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 It's okay, I can say it. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay so We're going to run it through Google Translate. <laughs> so you're saying this thing, we say in French, um, that you're going to follow the rules and that you're not going to have any visitors and everything, and that if you're not following those rules, then you might get arrested and do prison for about three years or something. So it's very, like, all of that part was very stressful, but then it was yet also very funny because when... They got our information and they had to call in um, to make sure that it was okay for them to let us through. And so he was like, yeah, so we've got this couple. They just got married yesterday. Convenient, hey? And then <laughs> they're like, yeah, we don't see anything wrong about their 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 documents. So if you say yes, then we're just going to let them go. And so they said yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they had to check it with the higher ups. We, we did our homework very, very well uh, and had documents for every, like, question they asked us and then um right before we left the border um the border officer that had denied entry to everest the first time um he asked me to go outside with him to set up like to write all of our information for the quarantine check they they were calling us like about three times during those 14 days and also sending two emails to make sure that we respect um the rules about quarantine And he was like, so it worked. Like, it worked it out for you guys to be able to have Everest cross the border. And I was like, yeah, thank you. And then, so he was really acknowledging that the whole situation was not 
great for him either. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I think that they were very happy to be able to let us through. And when they denied me entry to Canada, I don't think that they were happy to have to do that. I mean, they 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 were doing their jobs very well uh, and very considerately, and they have to uh, they have to follow the rules. And if that means not letting a person in, that's what they have to do. So I don't have any any hard feelings towards uh, those officers for not letting me in. They were doing their jobs very very well. Uh, I'm more angry about the rules, which had me blocked from coming in that first time. Everest and Marjo got married on June 24, 2020, and were both able to cross the border the next day. There are still uncertainties in their future plans, but at least now they're able to confront them together from the same couch. So the wedding is still on the calendar, but we're, we're definitely now more looking at the possibility of rescheduling it to the year after. Because being <laughs> both um, Canadian and American, we want to be able to have everyone at our wedding. We already had the wedding with just the two of us and the minister, and that's enough. And like we had a wedding with masks. The next one is just going to be uh, people partying together and just having fun. Um, so if we have to push it another year, then we'll just do it. Like a week after we were done with quarantine, um, after we had gotten back to Canada, I did write back to my deputy saying that, um, well, I had flown to the U.S. and then we got married and then the day after we um, got our certificate and everything. And then I, um, we both crossed back by foot um, to Canada. And so I told her and then a few weeks after that, she's, she she wrote back to me an email. So I received an email from her saying that she um, had been using our situation to advise other couples that were in the same situation. Yeah, I, I still have moments just on like a, just in, in our day-to-day life where I, I'm, I'm thankful that we managed to reunite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, I still, I still like, oh, remember, like I, I forget that we used to be separated for a very long time. Uh, and then, and then I'm grateful that we managed to to be together. And now we've been in the same place for for a solid seven months straight. So that's really great. A really big thank you to Everest and Marjolaine for sharing their story with us. We did this interview over Zoom, but since Everest often records himself as a musician, he was able to set up some good microphones to record their end of the conversation. So thanks to Everest as well for the production help. They recorded the interview together from their apartment in Montreal. The subletter moved out at the end of December, so they are now truly back home. To see some pictures from their life together and find out where you can hear Everest's music, check out our show notes at www.vtfolklife.org untapped. The Vermont Folklife Center's Listening in Place project is an ongoing effort to maintain and cultivate community, listen to others, and document our extraordinary daily lives together during the pandemic and beyond. We're doing this by continuing to do our own staff-directed fieldwork, and we're supporting individuals and communities in their own documentary projects. If you'd like to learn more about making your own recordings or interviews and adding them to the growing Listening in Place collection in the VFC archive, please find us at www.vtfolklife.org listening. If you like listening to this show, tell others to look us up and subscribe. 
You can find Vermont Untapped on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and TuneIn Radio. This episode of Vermont Untapped has been made possible in part by the National Endowment for the Humanities. Democracy Demands Wisdom. It was produced by me, Mary Wesley. Our executive producer, who also happens to be the VFC archivist, is Andy Kolovos. Thanks for listening.